Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were, being, they were in great danger. The disciples went and, and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and, and was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Very powerful message, right? It's, um, they're, on, they're on tough seas, and Jesus is there. That's what we're going to be talking about. This whole series that we're in on navigating the future. You know, look, life is full of hard waters, and we've got to navigate it. Past two weeks, we looked about you know, where you're going to be going. What's the vision? The vision for Granite Creek is to see families and, heaven, and uh, culture transformed by heaven. Uh, what the CD release party, that is, a, that, that, is, that is transformation of a culture. Patrick is actually going into the arts and entertainment world, and he's, he's, he's doing work there. He is beginning to transform the culture. This is, this is the vision for the church. Uh, any other areas, of it, whether it's government or business or the media, we have to, or education, we have to say, okay, how can I go into that culture and begin to transform it? So that's the, that's the overall vision of the church. And it is rough waters to do it. I mean, you think that, you think that home life is rough. I mean, going into those environments and, and transversing those waters is a very difficult thing. And then we looked at our mission. You know, look, it's, it's relationship, not religion. That's our mission. That's what we do. And our value, in a nutshell, is the kingdom of heaven. We've got to have a, a kingdom-styled lifestyle. We've got to have an empowered lifestyle. And what's going on in the, in the, in the verse that we just read is that the disciples are in rough waters, and they have forgotten who's in the boat with them. They, don't, they, they forgot their history. And today, history is actually so important. You know, if you, if you go to school and get a you know, history major, you get to teach, right? So it's kind of a, you know. But man, if you don't understand where you came from, you're not going to know where you're going. And so history is vital to your spiritual growth. And this is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at how your history will shape your future. How you actually perceive history. And this is the problem that the disciples had. They forgot who was in the boat and they forgot their history with Jesus. Because their history of Jesus was one of breakthrough, was one of miracles. They were living in a supernatural lifestyle where they were, they were seeing lepers cleansed. They were seeing the paralyzed walk. They were seeing Peter's mother break a fever. They were seeing all these kind of crazy miracles. This is what they were walking in. This is what they were living in. And all of a sudden they forgot. All it took was one instance, one little shot of fear, and they forgot who was in the boat with them. Our history... That your, your church's history, you know, probably a large majority 
that you might not know where we came from. And so this is what we're going to be talking about a little bit today, and I'm going to show you where God saved your church. This is your church, and you need to realize something about it. God saved it. Years ago, I was, I was five years old. I was actually born in Bakersfield. Don't tell anybody that. You know what's worse than being born in Bakersfield is being born in Oklahoma. And so um, I was born in, in Bakersfield, and then my, my dad was a youth pastor uh, there, and his senior pastor, uh, Pastor Byther, uh, took a position here in Pomona at uh, the Assembly of God in Pomona on Arrow. And he drugged my dad out of Bakersfield, and he became the youth pastor at the Assembly of God Church on, on Arrow and Pomona. It's now called Charisma Church. Okay? So that is how we, that's how we got there. Now, I don't know all the details. I don't want to know. But things went south there. They had an elder board that voted Pastor Byther out of the church. So again, I don't know what happened. I was five. I don't care. But it didn't work out too well for the Assembly of God because a lot of people followed Pastor Byther, and that's the foundations of where you're sitting right now. Um, eventually, that Assembly of God congregation folded, and now it is an incredible, vibrant um, Filipino congregation, Charisma Church. God redeemed that situation. So, God took... Pastor Byther and my dad and some other incredible key leaders, and they began to, what, to build this church, what is called New Life Church. My dad eventually became the associate pastor, and there was, a little, there was a little old lady, and she gave her house to the church. And the elders took that money from the church, and they purchased this piece of property. So the reason why that you're sitting in this room right here, right now, is because there's the faithfulness of one old lady that, that had a generous spirit. Isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, the things that we take for granted in our life, the miracles that we take for granted, the people that we don't even know, if it wasn't for their faithfulness, your kids wouldn't be growing up in an amazing church. All it takes is one person. And so that's kind, of the, that's kind of what happened. And around, around the time when they bought this building, uh, my, my dad, our, our pastor, our, our founding pastor, he was called into the Vineyard Christian Fellowship Movement, and he, he sat under John Wimber. He became one of the counselors, counseling pastors at the Anaheim Vineyard, and then he eventually started his own church. Now, you need to understand why this is important. Because my dad, as an associate pastor, left this church and he started the Vineyard Christian Fellowship Church. And you need to know that it was probably difficult times. I'm sure that it was. Probably rough waters. But you need to know something. He did it right. There was a communication. There was an honoring that was going on towards Pastor Byther. Um, he, he got Pastor Byther's blessing and then he set up shop as far away as he possibly could in South Ontario. He could have easily set up shop you know, across the street. But a man of character does things the right way. And so he sets up shop in South Ontario, 
and began to build an incredible, vibrant church, Vineyard Christian Fellowship, and it grew tremendously, and it reached a lot of people. And a lot of you that are in here, you know that history. Last month, my dad shared a story about the worst season in their life in ministry. It was a very difficult sermon to preach. He's never really preached on it before. But in a nutshell, a a congregation that had 700, 800 people in it, uh, because of of a moral failure of one key leader, it went from that number, went from 700 to 150 to 200 in one week. And to make matters worse, the landlord raised the rent. So it went from bad to worse real quick. And it was, it was this, they were in a storm. The pastor, the elders, and the leaders were in a very big storm. And what they chose to do in that time determined the future of where we are right now. We are all in a storm at times. Sometimes life is easy. Sometimes everything just falls into place. Everything is going great. And, you know, it's just, you know, life is easy. You're enjoying life. Time is great. But other times, there's a storm. And here's, what, here's the, the key to the whole message today. So you have to realize that when you're in a storm, if you do it right, if you, if you hold to your character, if you hold to your principles, if you center up on Jesus... You're going to get breakthrough. See, there's a miracle in the storm. And how we see it, how we view it, how we process it will determine whether or not we see a miracle or not. At the same time, this congregation had a few men of God that were incredible. Then it had some men of God that weren't so great. And this church was suffering tremendously. The attendance went down dramatically. How many people have had a difficulty paying your bills or paying your rent or paying your mortgage? How many people's like, I'm freaking out because I can't pay my rent. I can't pay the mortgage. Well, you're in good hands. You know what this is? This is the ad to sell your church because it was in foreclosure. In 1998, this church was in foreclosure and the bank was very happy. This is a $5 million piece of property. The bank was very excited about us folding. The world was ready to eat it up. Because of the character of our founding father, Pastor Byther, long retired, calls up my dad and says, you want to come back? And my dad's like, well, I have a congregation in South Ontario. You know that. He says, that's okay. You can bring them. There were no kid. There was, there was one family that had kids. They came maybe once a month. They were losing the building. No one had any money. But through a series of miracles, the money just came in. And we saved the building. Why? Because we approached the problem the right way. There was a miracle in the problem. And we saw it. We saw the miracle in the problem. We saw the miracle in the storm. And some of us are facing some incredible storms in our lives. And I'm here to tell you today, if you you do it right, if you see it the right way, there's a miracle there. There's a couple of ways that we need to look at it. First, maybe write this down. You need to change your overall mindset. 
What was the mindset of the disciples? It was one of fear. They, they, didn't, they didn't know who they had in the boat. Jesus was sleeping. How many people feel like Jesus is sleeping in your life? Like you're praying, you're calling out, and it's like crickets. You're not getting any answers. See, they had the wrong mindset. It, it, when they found themselves in the storm, they immediately succumbed to fear. They freaked out. We're going to drown. They, they immediately spoke death into their situation. And Jesus wakes up and says, you guys have no faith. Don't you remember who I am? Don't you remember what I've done? What, what happened? Why did you lose track? So the way that we have to change the way that we actually think, and it actually goes against our nature. Our nature is going to freak out and, and, and react to fear because, you know, the bear in the woods is going to eat us. So that's our nature is to fear. And the way that God wants us to, to, to see life is he actually wants us to think differently. And in James chapter 2, it, it kind of gives an idea of how to do it. It says, um, Consider it all joy. Count it all joy whenever you're faced with difficulties in life. How does that make sense? You think about that? How does that make sense? Okay, the Bible says that when I face difficult times, I have to count it as joy. I have to actually think about things and do the math. The Bible is telling us when you are in rough waters, when it's difficult, you have to analytically think about the situation and find the miracle in the hard time. You have to count it all joy. You have to find joy in your distress. It doesn't make sense. He goes on to say, you know, when you do, when you persevere, when you're, when you're steadfast, uh, and he says, then, then, get this, and this is a promise from the Bible, then you will be made perfect. How would I, I'm not perfect, so I, could you imagine Look, if I, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I count on all joy, if I begin to change the way that I think about my problems, I'm going to be perfect. Jesus says it too. You ask anything in my name, I'm going to give it to you. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could get to that point where the stuff that we ask for, God automatically gives to us? You've got to change the way that you think. Next key element to moving forward and, and, and seeing the miracle that's inside of the storm is that you have, to, you have to be thankful for what you have. This is so huge. This attitude of gratitude has to be prevalent because we tend to focus on the storm and not what God has given us. Uh, you know, I paid the bills around here. I'm going to hopefully delegate that. I don't want to pay the church bills anymore. But that was my job. And every week I'd freak out. Because there wasn't enough money to pay the church bills. And I would lose sleep over this. And I get all worried. And I get all fretted out. I'd want to quit. And then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me. And he says, look, you're, you're focusing on the storm. And you're not focusing on where I am. It might seem like I'm asleep, but I'm extremely active right now. And so instead of focusing on, on this storm, you need to see where I am. And right now, I'm over there, and I'm fixing that marriage. And if you would see that, then you would be encouraged, and you would quit living in fear. I, I, I'm not in that trouble. I, I'm over here working with this young man that's struggling with addiction. 
And Josh, if you would only see what I am doing, then you would be encouraged and know that I am in this. The miracle is in the storm. And so what we choose to, to focus on is going to determine where we're headed in our direction, especially when we're facing a storm. Now, when the guys got in the boat to go across the, the river, I guarantee there was one of them that was griping. There was one, okay, the chances are there was one negative Nancy in the bunch, and it was Thomas, right? It was Thomas. I'm making this stuff up. This isn't in the Bible. Um, <laughs> Thomas was probably saying, Oh, we shouldn't go sailing now. It's getting cloudy. My stomach kind of hurts. I don't want to get in the boat right now. You know what? If we get in that boat, there might be a squall. There might be a big storm. So maybe we should just keep safe and not get in the boat. What happened? They got in the boat. Thomas was right. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. They ended up in a storm. Again, that's not in the Bible. I'm making it up. Um, all right, think about Job. Bad things happened to Job, right? Really bad things happened to Job. He lost all of his money. He lost his family. He lost his health real fast, real quick. He's like super depressed instantly. He went from being the coolest guy on the block to being super depressed overnight. God gave Satan the legal right to sift Job. Okay, that's right. You all believe that, right? That's what the Bible says. God gave Satan the legal right to test him. He says, oh, Job is so great. You think, he's so, you think he's such a good little boy? Let me have him. Let me at him. I'll break him. You just see, God, I can break that kid. In the contract, it's, it's, it's all set up in a court setting. If you read Job, it's like a court, you know, you know, the, the Satan approaches the judge and, you know, it's, like, it's, it's very poetic in, 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 its, in how it's written. In the contract that they set up about testing Job, there's nothing about the specifics. There's nothing about, okay, you can kill his family. Okay, you can, you can take all of his money. Okay, you can take his health. There's none of that. There's no specifics. You know who determined the specifics? It was Job. Job, okay, there was no, I mean, it's clear. And then the Bible, you will go through hard times, you will be tested, but actually, you determine what happens to you. How do we know this is for Job? Because Job says it. What I have feared has come upon me. So yes, he was going to be tested, but he chose by what he feared what was going to happen to him. He probably feared that he was going to lose his kids. He probably kept him up all night. And sure enough, that's what happened to him. If I get in the boat, there's going to be a storm. Sure enough, there's going to be a storm. So we have to say, okay, how do I get my mind around this? How do I begin to think in the right ways so that when I'm in a storm, I'm blessed on the other side of it? The miracle's in the storm. Do I, do I react in faith or do I react in fear? If you react in fear in this storm, long term, it's going to be difficult and painful for you. That's what you'll reap. But if you have a, an inner peace in the storm, if you have a joy, if you have this well that flows from within you, someday, it might be tomorrow, it might be a couple months from now, it might be 15 years later. This Granite Creek thing happened 15 years later. There was a miracle 
in the storm, and it manifested 15 years later. Isn't that amazing? So is there a process? Look, I love instant miracles. I love it. But life is also a process. And we got to get, we got, God actually wants us to go through this process at times. It grows our faith. It grows our character. It's the perseverance that we need to be stronger Christians. One of the major keys, write this one down, is we have to have a thankful heart. We have to be grateful for what God has given you right here, right now. You've got to be thankful for the people that are around you. They are the most amazing people. And if you look at the people that you're sitting next to as the most amazing people in the world, they will be. If you're saying to yourself, oh man, I just, I just don't have any money. You have a quarter in your pocket, right? You can be thankful for that quarter that's in your pocket. But it's, it's useless. It can't pay my electric bill. Jesus was faced with inadequacy. He had five fish. He had five loaves. He had a, thousands of people to feed. He didn't have it. It wasn't there. It didn't add up, right? He thought differently than we do. He analyzed it. He says, look, I can take this inadequacy and it doesn't add up, but I can take it and I can move it into the kingdom of heaven. I can move it to uh, the real world. I can move my problem that's in the real world, the natural world, and I can, I can move it into the supernatural world where divine multiplication happens. How does he do it? The first thing that Jesus does is he thanks God for the miracle that he doesn't have. Can you do that? God, I really need a breakthrough. And once you give it to me, then I'll thank you for it. No. Oh. We actually have to thank God in advance for what we know he's going to do, whether he does it or not. It could be now. It could be 15 years from now. Right? So he thanks God for what he has in his hands. It's inadequate. It's not going to make it. And then he blesses it. And when he blesses it, it multiplies. It takes on a divine form. It moves from the natural into heaven, into the supernatural. And we have to do that. You have to be able to think, all right, I got to thank God for something. Are you sucking air right now? That's a start. I, I thank God that I'm breathing. I, I thank God that I have some friends. I thank God that you know, I, I have a heartbeat. Start there. You got to start small. And what we know about, about faith and what we know about provision and God providing is that we first have to be faithful with the small things before he'll ever let us, uh, before he'll ever bless us with the big things. I really need some help in my finances. Okay, you got to be faithful for that little amount that you have right now. Because if you're not, He's not going to entrust you, with, entrust you with the big amount. That's just not the way that he works. He can't. 
well, if I, had, if I, just, if I won the lottery, if I had a million dollars, then I would be faithful with the money that God has given me. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because you've already proven to God that you're not. But to move it in from a natural into a supernatural, it takes, you have to change the way that you think. And then the last thing that you got to do, first thing, you got to change your mindset. You have to be thankful and gracious for what you've got, what's around you. The last thing that you got to do is you got to get a rock. You got to get a stone. You've got to get a memorial to what God has done. All right, let's look at my last uh, Bible verse. We're back in the book of Joshua. We've been looking at him for a little bit. Um, Joshua chapter 3. Sorry. Chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua... And all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So God has actually led the Israelites out of the desert and they're, they're, head, they're, just, they're going to cross the boundary. They're going to go into the promised land. All of these promises that God's given them, he's moving them into the promised land. Prosperity. Land flowing with milk and honey. The easy life, Right? So he's getting ready to move them into the easy life. And they have to cross this river. And so this is what happens. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, that's the thing that's in Raiders of the Lost Ark, by the way. All right, just in case you didn't know. Um, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests, who are the Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Did you catch that? How many people don't know where they're going? This is the whole point of this whole series. How do I know where I'm headed? How do I know if I'm going in the right direction? You've got to follow the Ark. You've got to follow, where's God? What, where do you see God moving in your life or in somebody else's life? If God's not moving in your life, get around somebody where God's moving. Follow them. You've got to follow what God is doing. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been here before. Verse, verse 5. Joshua told the people, come you consecrate yourselves. Underline that one. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You actually have to get yourself ready. You have to prepare your heart. You have to take care of your junk. You have to get, your, you have to get forgiveness of your sins. You have to, make, you have to do communion with, with Christ. You have to consecrate yourself in order for the amazing things to come. You have to take care of your junk. You've got to do some business with God. And then the amazing things will come. Consecrate yourself, he says. Verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out your enemies. Verse 11. See that the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go under the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord 
the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off, and it will stand in a heap. Okay, this is like the Cecil B. DeMille's thing, okay? This is, uh, this is Moses splitting the Red Sea. Same thing that's going on. So what Joshua witnessed and what he observed from his mentor and his leader of splitting the Red Sea, he's duplicating it. He has been trained. He saw faith in action in Moses. And he's like, you know what? I can do that too. So this is what's going on. The Jordan is splitting just like the Red Sea did. Verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest season. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing and it piled in a heap a great distance away. Verse 17, the priests who carried the ark of the covenant stood on firm ground, firm dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, well, all the Israelites passed by uh, until the whole nation had completed the crossing. Chapter 4. The whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men among you, one from each tribe, and tell them to take twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from the right where the, right where the priest stood, and carry them over and put them down where you're, where you're staying. Verse 5, go over before the ark of the Lord, go into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you will take up stones on his shoulders. These are big rocks. To serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and when it crosses the Jordan. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. All right, so what's the point? The point is, is that they experienced one of these crazy, biblical, supernatural miracles. And you know what God knows about us? He knows our nature. He knows that we're going to forget. He knows that we're going to take our miracles for granted. And he says, look, you've got you to gotta, you gotta get a memorial you got to get a stone, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get this stone, and it's going to be heavy. It might be uncomfortable, but you're going to drag this, in, this stone into your life, and it's going to remind you when I performed miracles. You see, the problem with the disciples that were in the boat, they had no stone in their heart. They automatically forgot what God can do, and we have to put a stone in our heart, and it's for us. So whenever we're facing this hard time, you can't pay your mortgage. You need to remember the day that you could, where God gave you the provision, where it came in the check, in the mail. You're, you're dealing with, with, with an illness. You've got to remind yourself the day that God healed you. But you know what's even more important than this whole thing? You know what's even more important about you? It's your kids. The stones were for their kids. The stones were there for their kids to say, what's that? Oh, that's the day that God healed me. Oh, that's the day that I received that miracle. We are responsible for stewarding our kids into heaven. We have absolutely amazing kids in our church. We have kids that, that go to a secular school and they bring their Bibles and they read it during uh, self-read time. 
We have kids that pray for other kids on a school campus. I can't tell you how encouraging and crazy happy I am to see our kids do stuff like this. I want more. I want, I want to see our, all of our families transformed by heaven. Okay, you, all, you know about what Kid Care is up to with the whole Corvette thing, right? You know, we got this 2014, you know, super hot Corvette car that uh, some rich guy financed for Kid Care so that we could raffle it off so we could feed our orphans. It's the coolest thing in the world. So a pastor is in Orange County, and he's with a high-powered attorney, He's with the manager of this Chevrolet dealer and all these salesmen and then this rich business guy that financed this whole thing. So you've got all these type A, ego-driven, super macho guys, right? The attorney is a good friend of ours, Christian, supports and prays for you. He brought his 13-year-old daughter Okay, so just imagine this. Put this in, put this, you know, imagine, you know, you're on the showroom of an exotic car dealership in Orange County. You know, you got all these suits around you, and there's this 13-year-old girl, and she looks at my dad, and she says, do you have a history? I really feel like God's telling me that you have a history of a heart condition. Can I pray for you? Yes. So a 13-year-old girl lays hands on our pastor in front of all these high-powered businessmen, these ego-driven guys, and it changes the atmosphere in the room. 13. You know what daddy does? Daddy's the attorney. Was he embarrassed? Was he like, oh. Did he cut her off? Did he say, okay, daughter, uh, let me, let me, let me, I'm, I'm the spiritual one here. Let me take, let me take control. Okay, one of the, the most high-powered attorneys in Orange County followed the spiritual lead of his 13-year-old daughter. That's what I want in our church. She had the courage. She took it in there. She released it in the room. She prayed for our pastor. Amazing. That's what I want for our church. When I say I want to see... Heaven, our families transformed by heaven. That's what I'm talking about. I had my daughter pray for me like three times already since then. <laughs> you know, we do, we do prayer night every night. We have God conversations all the time. You need to have God conversations with your kids and with your family members. I'm like, okay, you pray for me. I'm teaching my child how to pray for people. Our kids need to know how to pray for people. It's, they're not too young. I guarantee you they're not too young. I taught high school Wednesday night. Taught kids how to pray for, people, for each other. One of the kids goes home and prays for his parents. Parents are super excited. Blew up my Facebook. Look, it's these monuments. It's these stones. We... we we're not allowed to forget what God's done in our past. We're not allowed. It's illegal for us to take it for granted what God has done. Well, my experience is, is rough seas. There's a miracle in the storm. You've got to see it. You've got to think differently. You've got to persevere. You've got to see it through, you gotta, you gotta see it through its end. It, it, some of you, it's a process. It could be a 15-year process, a 15-year miracle. You could take that long. You have to treasure it in your heart that you're going to see it fulfilled. You've got to change the way that you think. You've got to say, okay, I am blessed. I am thankful for what I have. 
And it's hard because our natural mind doesn't think that way. So I have a little present for you. It's a rock. I have some rocks for you. You know what the purpose of it is? I know it seems silly and, and trivial, but it's not. Because I have a... You'll get, okay, I'm just going to let you on. You'll get one of these buttons in a couple of weeks, too. That will be the next prize. This is, a, this is my navigation button. You like it? It's my navigation button. And I'm catching myself. I, I preach this stuff all the time. It doesn't mean I necessarily live it. And I catch myself thinking these negative thoughts that get me going down a, a, this rabbit hole of, of discouragement. And so whenever I, I, I find myself doing this, okay, I... Where does God have me going? It physically reminds me. And so if you need that miracle in your life, if you're in the storm and you need that breakthrough, maybe you need to put a really uncomfortable rock in your pocket for a while. So it rubs on you. So it reminds you. That's the whole purpose of fasting, by the way. So that not so you're miserable and, oh, look how spiritual I am. Look at my ribs. I'm suffering for Jesus. That's not the point. And I'm, I'm losing some weight at the same time. God bless me. That's not the point. The point is so that when you feel the discomfort, it reminds you of your miracle. It reminds you of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. That's the whole purpose of it. So I want to encourage you. I was going to have you get these big ones out here. Um... <laughs> But it's like, okay, I can have them get them, and they're going to come in, and how would I get them back in church? And it'd be like herding cats, and I'm having a hard time with cats right now. Got, my cat bit me and scratched me. And, anyway, so we have, other, we have smaller rocks that came from, from my dad's property. He, he uh, scooped them up last night for you guys. So take the rock. There's, there's some Sharpie pens. If you have a miracle... You write your miracle, whatever happened, and whether it was five years ago, ten years ago, you know, whether you're a miracle baby, you write that on that rock, and, and you know, if you have to, to keep from getting depressed and negative, carry it around with you all week long. Put it on, you know, put it on your dashboard of your car as you're driving to work. Keep you focused on what God has done for you when He gave you that miracle. You're gonna see more once you do that. You know, when you're, when you're doing the dishes and you're angry, put it on the, put it on the window seal, okay? And it will change. It will, it will be a milestone. It will be a memorial stone to you. That's my, that's my encouragement for you on this. If you don't have a miracle, if you can honestly say, Josh, I have never seen a miracle in my life. I have never seen anything supernatural. Just hang out. Just hang out with us. I kind of did some, I was like, okay, like how often do we see miracles? How often do we see answered prayers? Like, well, you know, I pray for somebody, they come up sick, maybe one out of 10. Yeah. Like, okay, really, Josh, it's more like one out of 20. I'm like, all right, one out of 20. You guys come up for prayer, I might, we might get one out of 20. You need to know something about me. I'm a really poor loser. I don't like losing. So I know I'm all sweet and nice and everything, and I pray for you. You might not get healed. I'm like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just continue to pray. And I never say, well, it's the God's will thing. I don't do that. But you know what I do do? When you don't see me, I'm throwing a temper tantrum. I'm not kicking stuff because I want to see breakthrough in your life. One out of 20. 
You might think, well, that's really depressing, Josh. You must not have a very powerful God. Well, I tell you what, he's better than Las Vegas. You have a better chance getting healed one out of 20 than you do about winning a Corvette. You have one in 10,000 chance of winning the Corvette. But for some reason, you know, when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes from God answering our prayers, and if he, for some reason, you know, we just think that, okay, one, one out of 20 is not good enough, but it's good enough for Vegas. It's good enough for the lottery. And the way that our natural mind thinks is we put more faith in the things of this world, into the, into the lottery. A lot of people will have more faith in the lottery than they do in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if they could just change the way they think, that's the key. If they could just be thankful for what God has given them, then he's going to give more. He'll move it from a natural into a supernatural. Let's get the band to come on up. Patrick McGarity Band. Um, the ushers coming up the front as they're on their way up bow your heads close your eyes how many people are having a hard time paying the bills alright how many are having a hard time with family it's a really rough storm yep yeah how many people the storm in your life is physical you're like, yeah. Father, right now, we would just pray for a blessing for the whole church, but for those that had the, the courage to raise their hand, I pray that you will give them the ability to see that in this process that they are in, there's a miracle. There's a miracle in the storm. And I pray that you would just encourage them uh, into, a, into a new way of thinking that they just don't have yet and they've never had. And I pray that, that they will, uh, the things that they will say, the words that they will come out of their mouth will be words of life instead of words of death. That they will, instead of saying, help me, Lord, I'm drowning, that they will say, thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you for saving this church. Thank you in the midst of two really bad storms that your plan prevailed. And I pray that we would just continue to seek after heaven in our families where our children carry the presence and where we have fathers and mothers that fan that into flame. God, I pray that you bless this offering. I pray that we would bless this offering so that we could do cool stuff for you. In the name of Jesus. We love you. Amen.